Today is the beginning of a series of sermons we're going to be doing that is going to be highlighting our personal discipleship and our role and our responsibility in that and the impact and the effect of that when we consider it a profane thing. Profane means that you don't consider it any much value or any much worth. It's something you set on the shelf and you leave there and you only pick it up when you need it. There are many of us that that's exactly what we do with this, isn't it? Growing up in West Texas, I can remember many times, you know, because it's so prevalent in the culture that you'd see these sitting in the back dashboard of the window. And they just left it there so they'd have it there for Sunday morning church the next week. And that speaks volumes about their discipleship and how much they were in this in between, doesn't it? But the fact of the matter is that there are many times when we don't leave it in the back of the car, but we leave it on the desk at home, dresser, on our nightstand. And it gets used as little there so often as it does when we leave it in the front back of the car. We're going to be talking about some things like that over the next few weeks. And uh, I'll just say to you right now, if you're a guest here today, I'm really glad you're here. Really glad you're here. I think that Crossing is a great place to belong, a great place that wants to make people a part of our family. And there are, there are unique times in everyone's life when um, we would gather around you as you needed it. And we would pray over you, and we would take care of you. And I would hope and pray that we would challenge you and encourage you in your spiritual growth as well. So if you're a guest with us today, really glad to have you with us. This sermon today, quite honestly is really for crossing people. But there's, there's a good chance that um, this is kind of a, a wide net, you know, so to speak, and, and, it, and it, it would catch a lot of folks in it. And so if it applies to you, praise God, that's really great. I'm glad of it. But what I have to say today has a lot to do with our church. By the way, before I get away from it, good luck tonight. That's all I have to say about that, okay? Woohoo! There you go. All right. If I were to say the name Mark Rotondo, R-O-T-O-D-N-D-O, if I were to say that name, would you know who I was talking about? Anybody? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Anybody know who Mark Rotondo is? When I tell you what he did last year, you'll know, oh, that guy. Anybody want us to take a stab? No? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I appreciate the participation already in the service. Um, Mark Rotondo was the main character in a new story happened in the spring of last year that's very unique. Mr. Rotondo was the 30-year-old son that his parents sued to have him move out of their basement. This is, he dressed up for court um, there. They gave him five notices saying, we want you out of the house. And after five notices, he still had not left, and so they took him to court. And so there he is. He's dressed up for court. And when they asked him, like, why he wouldn't move out, he said, I'm unemployed. That was his reason, you know. 30 years old, he was unemployed. Now, that's a pretty crazy story, isn't it? In our day and age, it's not unusual, though, for adult children to be living at home. It's a necessity very often. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> I saw some of you looking at each other. It's not a bad thing because of our, the economy, um, just the cost of living, especially in this area. It's not a bad thing. It's a necessary thing, especially for when that adult child is living in the home and they're actively participating and they're a part of the home life, not downstairs wearing out their thumbs, right? At the same time, though, 
it's a stereotype in our culture today that there are adult children, mainly, primarily sons, that are living in their folks' basement, and they are portrayed as having no direction, not pursuing any direction. Their parents assess them as wasting away downstairs. But the problem with stereotypes is that they are often some degree of truth about them. Matter of fact, you just Google adult children living in the basement. That, you just put that in Google right there, right there, and then this is what you get, a lot of hits, all right? How to get your child out of the basement. How do I get my 25-year-old to move out? How do I motivate my son to get a job? What is failure to launch syndrome, adult kids living at home, um, dealing with a grown child who is unemployed and living at home, and the list goes on and on and on. And so that's what it's called. There is this, this syndrome called failure to launch. There was a movie about it a few years ago, um, and it was about a 35-year-old who wouldn't move out, and his parents considered him, uh, what was the, um, uh, uh, um, oh, I can't remember the phrase for it. But anyway, he just wouldn't get out, so they devised a scheme to get him out. But failure to launch syndrome, you know, when you look it up, there's this psychology website that says it is the difficulty some young adults face when transitioning into the next phase of development. The next phase of development. Well, there is a similar problem in many local churches. There are people who have been Christians for many years, but have never transitioned to further spiritual growth. They've they've been in a church for many years. They call themselves Christians. If you were to say, do you go to church? They'd say, I go to church. But they've never developed into serving in that local church. They're good people. They're really nice people. In most cases, they're very faithful people. And they serve maybe in different areas of of church life. But there is something missing in their lives. There's an excitement and a vibrancy that is missing. There's an urgency that is missing. And that's the best word I think I could use, an urgency. They seem to be satisfied with church culture, but are skeptical, skeptical about stepping too far outside the accepted and typical activities of that church culture. These people have failed to launch into abundant life. They have failed to fully partake partake of all the promises that Jesus promised us us in Scripture. They don't talk to others about their faith, very much anyway. They don't seek to engage others in an honest discussion about worldview, about what people think of God, about the afterlife, of anything of that nature, about how God applies to the things you read in the news. When an opportunity comes up, they don't respond They've convinced themselves that someone else would do it. They've convinced themselves that they don't have the right spiritual gift to do it. And they missed the opportunity to launch. It's very comfortable in the basement of our Heavenly Father's house. And they don't see the need to leave the basement. The song that we sang today, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love was a perfect song for today. I need to tell you something. I need to confess to you that I have been living 
in the basement of our Heavenly Father's house for a while. There has been an unrest inside of me for some time now, for a better part of this year. And my reading has continued to push me and push me and push me. It always comes back to the same thing about being honest and authentic about what God is doing in your life, about your failures and where you're struggling at times. But I kept saying I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know where to do that. I didn't know where to get started. So I began praying about that. And this week in particular, it was especially intense for me. So I spoke to Betty about it this week. And now here I am to tell you the same thing. That I feel like in some ways I've lost my first love. That I feel like in some ways I've lost that fire that I used to know that burned inside of me. But I want to be clear that there is no huge immoral sin that I'm referring to. It is just something that I'm equally ashamed of, though, if there was. It's a lukewarm heart. A heart that has lost its zeal, its fervency, its urgency. It's a heart that used to care more than it has lately. Perhaps a great way of explaining it would be like this. I was listening to a pastor speak this week, a podcast, and he spoke about the first time he visited a remote African nation, and he was walking down a street, and as he was walking down the street, he came across a dead body in the middle of the street. And it's the first time he had ever encountered anything like that ever in his life. He, he literally was just stunned and stopped in his tracks. And as he processed what he was seeing, he came across some other truth, this other thing that happened that was equally as disturbing and equally as confusing. And that was that as he stood there and observed and and just processed a dead body that had been, by its bloated nature and everything, it had been there for some time. He said the other thing that was equally disturbing was the way that the citizens of the town, the people on the street, stepped over it and kept going. How they walked around it instead of being disturbed by it themselves. I've been stepping over a lot of other people's needs. I've been going around things that needed my attention in my own life, in the life of our church, in the life of my family. I have to confess to you, I have to confess to my fellow elders and to my staff and to my small group that my heart has grown cold and even at times very, very disinterested. And as your shepherd, I need to ask you to forgive me for that. I've fallen into this trap of becoming overwhelmed by life at times and retreating into comfort instead of retreating into Christ. It wasn't always like that. By the grace of God, it won't be like that for long. What I want to be is even more than I've ever been. I was raised, spiritually speaking, to seek God with an urgent heart. And the most important influence on my early spiritual life, as I've mentioned before, was the mother of my best friend, Greg. He was the dude with the really big hat a few weeks ago that was hanging around here. Um, His mom, Nedra, taught me how to read my Bible as a high school senior, how to do word studies, how to do theme studies in my Bible. She'd encouraged me to consider if my words and my actions reflected Christ. 
And Greg and I never, ever once ever mentioned a girl we were interested in because she immediately honed in on that. And the withering interrogation on it made us want to not ever mention a girl in front of her ever again. She had to be Baptist. She had to be a Christian. But her point was well taken, that those you bond yourself with are important, and they reflect your own heart. And it stuck. She encouraged me to read the Scripture as well as other books. And in particular, one book was this one right here. This is the very book that she gave me in 1978. The Life and Testament of Jim Elliot, Under the Shadow of the Almighty, written by Elizabeth Elliot, his widow. Jim was a student at Wheaton, and in 1956, as he was a missionary seeking to bring the gospel to a... Um, a tribe of very hostile Indians in Ecuador. He was murdered by them in his very first attempt to reach them. He and four other friends were. What happened out of that was their wives went back and continued the ministry and eventually won that entire tribe to Christ. And the very one that killed Jim became a leader in the church that eventually happened there. But in this book, his unswerving devotion to his spiritual life, was a huge, huge impact on my life. He, he wrote um, in here, and I, I distinctly remember reading this that summer, his journals were full of this kind of writing. He said, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost or a single, on a single road, but make me a fork in the road that men must turn one way or the other on facing Christ in me. Do you sense an urgency in his life? Do you sense a passion in his life that directed him, that motivated him? His unswaving devotion was one that said, I want to see others come to Christ and may Christ in me be something they cannot ignore. And that's just a small glimpse into the fire that burned in him. And as I said, his example, coupled with the spiritual mentoring of Nedra, set a high standard for my own personal spiritual life. Later on, other readings, such as the compilation of missionary stories from Ruth Tucker's book, From Jerusalem to Irian Jaya, also had a tremendous effect on me. Sitting in the backyard one day, reading that for a class, it was where God impressed on me that he wanted me for something more than the advertising industry. And I picked up the book, and I went inside, and I said to Betty, we need to go to the next thing. We need to go to school. One of the stories, some of the stories in there were like David Brainerd, a missionary that was right up here in Connecticut in the area, even came here into New Jersey. Adoniram Judson, missionary to Burma. E. Stanley Jones, whose personal story was the story that God used to move me out of my backyard, to move me out of the basement and into the next thing. And C.T. Studd, a missionary to China, India, and Africa. It was C.T. Studd that famously said, Some want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's a dude with passion. That is a dude right there that has something burning inside of him that will not let him stay in the basement. What I fear is that my lukewarm leadership has worn off on others of us. And that some of you 
are experiencing a failure to launch, or perhaps you launched and at some time in the, in the, sometime in the past, but you've retreated to the basement to watch Seinfeld reruns or Game of Thrones. Binge on it. The calling from this church on my life and from these elders is to lead this church in our mission to be and to make com- committed followers of Jesus Christ. Not comfortable followers, not nice followers, not polite followers, not good people, but people who want to run a rescue mission a few yards from the edge of hell because that's what committed followers of Christ are. People who are willing to befriend the folks that are typically get stepped over by other church people, who are willing to get messy and dirty and be criticized by the basement dwellers. That's what we've been called to, to be. That's part of our mission, which is exactly what Jesus called to, to be a disciple. And what that looks like is all throughout the Gospels. For instance, in Matthew 16, he said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. So did you hear what he says? If you're trying to save your life, if you're hanging, hanging on to it in such a way that you don't want to let go of it, you will lose that life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he forfeits his soul? And what shall a man give in return for his soul? Luke fourteen twenty seven. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, Listen to what he says. You cannot be my disciple. He says that. Those are strong words. That if you are going to be my disciple, you will set down. You will set down yourself. You will deny yourself. And you will carry your cross and come after me. Follow me where I'm going. And then Paul, Apostle Paul, in 2 Timothy, where I've been doing some of my reading, it's kind of what is, is so unsettling to me, is that in 2 in Timothy um, matter of fact, he is, he is, he is writing to his, his spiritual son, and he says to him there, chapter 2, he says, and this is, he's writing this to him. This is, I believe, the last letter he wrote, and he's writing it to his son in the faith, and he says to him, it's like this, this last will and testament. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Do you see what he says? He says, you were called to serve in the service of Christ. And he said, no man who is in the service can be entangled in things off the base. It's like no man who is called to be in the service ever gets to go in the basement. It just doesn't happen. You can't be a good soldier and spend your life watching reruns in the basement and binging on all the stuff the world is offering us. He goes on later in verse 8, and he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, But the word of God is not imprisoned. And for this, I endure all kinds for the sake of those who are chosen. That they may also obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus 
and with it eternal glory. Being a disciple of Christ means that we will, that we will need to endure hardship to see others come to Christ. And that can take many forms, simple or hard. But I'm just telling you, if you read the news, then you will see that we have brothers and sisters in Christ in China right now that are enduring unspeakable hardships as they seek to bring others into the faith. And as they seek to be disciples, they are enduring great hardship. And church, like it is so easy to be able to be here in your comfortable chairs today. But I just have this strong sense that it will not be too long in the future before those chairs won't be here for you, and it will be very difficult. And you will endure hardship to be a Christian here in the United States. These verses were not written from a basement. matter of fact, they were written from prison. And he didn't end up in prison because he was a nice Christian. He ended up in prison because he was a true disciple of Christ. Being a disciple means being uncomfortable. It means being sacrificial. It means giving up all, just as the Lord gave up all. And this is the very perfect place to quote Jim Elliot, and perhaps the quote that he is most famous for, where he said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Now, I have to read this a few times every time I read it to make sure that I know exactly what he's saying. But he says, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. We work with all our might to have things in this life that will burn and that we'll never take with us and will never count for eternity. We make them the biggest priorities of our life. And he says, those things, he says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. You give up all those things to gain that which you cannot lose, which is Christ and Christ alone. Giving up all that stuff that will burn for those things that are eternal is what he's saying. All this stuff we're hanging on to, we won't get it in the end because it will be gone. Church, do you not want to feel the blood of Jesus boil through your veins instead of the lukewarm blood of a basement-dwelling Christian? Don't you want more than that? Do you not sense his call on your heart to more than that? To be a disciple of Christ and to make other disciples is the grandest call any man or woman could ever answer to. And it looks like almost nothing that most Christians are experiencing in their life. I need to tell you that the reason why I'm talking to us about this is that And I'm just going to go there. And if you're saying I'm being too negative, come and talk to me. I'm willing to listen to it. But when we say to our church, we have a place a half mile down the road that has people who can't leave, who has to do something. And I'm talking about Pyramid Pyramid Today Incorporated. It's a recovery house right down the road here. You could throw a stone at it from here almost. And when they have to do, when they have to sit there, And when we say, we have people that we've been invited to come in and tell them about Jesus, and we can't get any of us to respond, we've got a problem, church. And you ought to say amen to that because you know it's true. Because the people doing it right now are two or three people from our church and people from another church who are doing it. It ought to hurt us. It ought to hurt us that that's the way it is. And that's one example. My prayer is that there will be an increasing number of us 
who will be tired of living in the basement and will repent of a lukewarm lifestyle and will confess it to Jesus and receive his forgiveness and resolve to follow him at all costs and move out of the basement and move into a rescue shack within a yard from hell. Let's, let's follow him like we've never, ever done before. Let's pour our lives into discipling other Christians, into speaking boldly about our faith, into, into wrestling with each other to be able to be the one who goes down the street here and tells someone else about Christ because they, I mean, you just don't get opportunities like that. They have to sit and listen to you. Right? And this is the thing. Most of us would say, if I could get someone to sit down and talk to me, I would. Well, I'm telling you, they will, and you're still not there. I think you're a basement dweller. I think that we have become very comfortable. Do you not want to see God do immeasurably and unimaginably more than you've ever experienced before? I do. I want to be someone who I used to be, not someone that I am today. And I'm hoping that there's other people in this room who feel that way too. If you're here today and you've not trusted Christ, I'm just going to ask you straight up. I'm not going to be nice and polite about it. Why haven't you? Why not? What are you holding on to? What is so good in your life? that you want to stay in bed every night with the guilt and the shame and the question marks about your life, what is it about that that is better than receiving forgiveness of sin and walking away from shame and walking away from guilt and getting to have fullness of life and getting to like know for certain that when you close your eyes that you will wake up in the presence of Jesus? If you're not here today and that you've never done that, then my, my appeal to you, is, is to do it today. Tell him that you need a Savior. Talk to Jesus. Tell him that you know you're separated by your sin and that you want him to forgive you. Talk to him and you will not regret it because the truth of the matter is this, that if you do not take him, you will live to regret that, not for the rest of your life, but for all eternity. Because the truth of the matter is that on that faithful day that you close your eyes in death, you will wake up on the other side eternally separated from him. Eternally separated with him, with no recourse to change it. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, why not? Why not do it today? Don't let that happen to find yourself eternally separated from him. Trust him today. As a matter of fact, he's calling you. You are not here today by mistake. You are not here today for any other reason but to hear the call of Christ on your life for the salvation of your sins. Do not be deceived. That's why you're here today. Today, in a few moments when I pray, I would implore you in the silence of your own heart in whatever words you can conjure up to cry out to him and to t- explain to him, to tell him, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior, and that's all I know. Will you forgive me? However you say that, and in that moment, he will forgive you. Christians, 
I'm going to do this, and I'm not comfortable with it. Christians, if you sit there today and you say, you know what, I like what he's saying, I'm going to do that, and you don't tell anyone about it, you're going to walk out of here and not do it. The likelihood of you walking out of here and starting real change in your life, if you don't tell someone about it today, is almost nil. It will probably not happen. So today, I'm going to ask you to do something that we never do here at Crossing. I'm going to ask you to take a stand. In a few moments when I'm about to pray, I'm going to ask you that if you want to see your life change in a sense where you want that urgency, if you want to, be, if you want to stand up and say, I am urgent or I want to be urgent, then I'm going to ask you, don't sit there and tell yourself you're going to change. Stand up and be accountable for that change. Stand up and be accountable for that change because you won't change anything if you sit there and tell yourself you'll do it by yourself. And not only that, in your bulletin there's a connection card and I'm asking you that if you do want to stand up and and, and make that statement, that on this connection card right here, you just write on there, pray for me, I want urgency. And I will promise to pray for you every day until you tell me otherwise. Come up out of that basement. Quit watching reruns. Quit playing those games. Come up out of that basement and experience Jesus like you've never, ever experienced him before. And start doing it today in this place together with your family. So right now, I'm about to pray. If you want to, be st- if you want to stand up and stake your claim for urgency in your Christian life, I'm asking you to stand up right now and do that. You don't have to. Do not feel compelled by anyone else doing anything else around you. Do not feel compelled. Only stand up if you mean it. Only stand up if you really want to have that kind of change happen in your life and you want to pursue him with your whole heart. Only do that then. And do not worry about what anyone else is seeing or thinking or doing. And if you're here today and you do not know Christ, as I'm about to pray right now, I implore with you to seek him, to call on him right now. Father, not been what I want to be. And worse yet, I've not been what I've preached about in a while now. And so I come to you and I confess that to you. For I am accountable to you and to these people. And I pray that you would instill in me an urgency as I obey you. That you would place in my heart a burning desire to be following you in a way, in a fashion that leaves a mark on me and leaves a mark on the others around me. Do not let the words of this day pass easily. And for all those who have stood today, and I'm not even looking to see who they are, but all those who have stood today, I am praying that you would not let them pass easily from this day either, but that burning desire in their heart would also be one that moves them to obedience like they've never experienced before or haven't experienced in a long time. May our lives be of one that we are a fork in the road and that men and women who come to us would be forced to decide or to confront about Jesus because of our walk with you. And Father, if there's anyone here today that has never trusted you as their personal Savior, I pray that in this moment they are listening to that still small voice that is speaking louder to them than my words are and that they are yielding to that. And they're calling out to you in the only way they know how. 
and they're asking you for forgiveness of sin. Make this that day for them, Father. It is in your great and your glorious and your compassionate and your wonderful name that we pray today, knowing that there is nothing that will stand between you and I when we commit ourselves to you in such a way to follow you with a whole heart and to follow you with an urgent heart, to set aside all those things in our lives that would keep us from following you. Reveal those things to us, Father. And I know that there will be things that will be hard to pull from our hands. But, Father, help us to loosen up those things and with an open hand to give them over to you and to have you alone. Help us to move out of the basement and help us to follow you with all of our hearts. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.